was thinking about this for like a week. Yeah. And I'm like, I've got so much <clears throat> to ask and so much that I've already known. Where am I going to start? And my first thought was, in one word, describe the terrace room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's going to take a lot more than one word. I figured it was an impossible question to ask. But. There, uh, there's never been a place like the terrace room. Um, when, when we were going full tilt boogie between 75 and 80, 1975 and 1980, it was uh, seated 150 people. We were open five nights a week. It was full every night. The best part about it was that any girl could walk in there by herself and not be afraid. Right. Not feel intimidated in any way. First of all, you know, everybody in there tried to be nice. I can't remember any trouble there at all. But she would know the bartenders or she'd know one of us or she'd know half the people in there. Right. I mean, it was like cheers with entertainment. <laughs> and and That's you know, why it we, we had uh, Tuesday nights uh, regulars, Wednesday night regulars. Uh, Thursday night, and then of course Friday and Saturday, you, you, they all came back. Yeah. And um, over the years, we, we you know we became known as a, a fun place. We did a, a KET special. Yeah. And uh, that that I've was a lot that. of fun. I've got it actually. And uh, it just it just got it was a hangout that you didn't have to plan to go. You just went. Uh, cover charges. We didn't have a cover charge forever. And then as we started, uh, it was just Rex, Bob, and me, and then when we added Ernie, the, the, you know, the cost of the band goes up. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you have to go to a cover charge, and it, but it was never more than $2. Beer was 75 cents, and it was just a, a fun place to be because, like I said, you didn't have to plan on it. You could just go, and somebody's going to be there yeah. that you knew, and uh, hopefully the music was all right. Right. Uh, so I, I don't I don't know unless you have specific questions I don't know any more that I can <laughs> I can say about it and said except that the 70s were you know everybody talks about the 60s yeah the 70s were it that's mean, where it was that, at that was uh, it it was you go around New Circle Road and there were seven eight bands playing five six yeah. nights a week making a living making a good living right. Uh, Everybody, you know, everybody had crowds. Um, you know, it was it was just a, a different time. I, just to get to do what I did in the '70s and get paid for it was, it was my dream. You know. Yeah, well, that's a very good place to start. We are weekend superstars. I'm John McHugh with my co-host George Moulton, and we are here with Mr. Doug Breeding. I was trying my best when we were talking about the different guests we were going to have on and trying not to throw around the the word legend haphazardly yeah but our first two episodes have gone pretty good so far and i'm throwing doug most definitely in the legend category you were just talking about making a living on doing this and you brought that up to me when we talked to the phone this week uh asking if we were still you know day jobs and all that stuff um you all have to tell me about that because I've never experienced not having a day job. <laughs> because times have definitely changed. Well, you get to sleep in my later. Area. Yeah, yeah, that's the biggest yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get to sleep later. 
but it seems like it was a lot easier back then to make a living at it than it is now, or, or unless I've just been doing it completely wrong. But I've always no, no, that you're not safe, doing it wrong at all. Uh, it's, it's, that's the way it is now, and, and and George might have some thoughts about this because yeah, I, mean, I don't know why it's like it is. It's just changed. I mean, it's I mean even uh, you know I got started uh, probably the early nineties, right? And even at that time, I mean, you know. You still had your places where you had your house bands, and you knew the. I mean, you could pick thirty-five people that you knew were going to be there every night you played. Exactly. And uh, you know, we were in Huntington. We were playing six nights a week. Mm-hmm. Had uh, Monday off. I think right. it was the only day off. And just like you were talking about it, we, we knew we'd have a crowd every night. Yeah, and you, you you would book two weeks at a time if you weren't a house band. Yeah. yeah. You know, you wouldn't you wouldn't go. <laughs> I'll play Wednesday night. Play, yeah. Yeah, or, or Saturday. You, yeah. know, you go in and, and book, you know, two or three weeks at a time, yeah. maybe a month, and, and, and or at you least know, we kind of ran over that with Greg too, you know. And again, I think one of the reasons it's not really like that anymore is because people used to know where so and so was at every weekend. Exactly. You know, I mean, they knew where Doug bringing in the bunch were every weekend. So yeah. your people came there, and people that you know, and then you got the other people that would show up and just hear of you and it was the same deal yeah so you wasn't you know you wasn't looking through you know whatever the weekend or whatever exactly well he's there tonight right, he's right, there tomorrow right. i can't see you know and people would even travel because they knew this is the only place you're going to see him right you know it's not like well i'll wait till he gets closer they come well, you closer. know that, that's an interesting point uh all all my life uh, my professional life uh there's uh, Lexington and Louisville have been compared and, yeah. and talked about. In Louisville, we found that you would go to the place and it doesn't matter which band's playing. Yeah. In Lexington, you go see the band, it doesn't matter where they're playing. Right, right. And that's to, to, yeah. to your point there. And I, I've noticed that, you know, back in the day, you, you followed a band or two bands yeah. and it didn't matter where they were, that's where you went. And in Louisville, it seemed like they'd go to Phoenix Hill or Butchtown Pro or something like that. They went for the club, but not the, right. not the music. Exactly. And here it was different, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I agree. I, I'm, I'm just going to start it out just by telling you, first off, and not, not everybody else knows this, John knows this, but you're the reason that I actually picked up and started trying to sing like Willie Nelson. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we might have a competition I, well, at some point. <laughs> <laughs> and, and here's why. Here's why. Are I you going to bring up the Moorhead Fair? Yeah, the Moorhead Fair. <laughs> <laughs> the Moorhead Fair. And I, I'm trying to think. I don't know how old it was. I mean, I was I was just a kid, and uh, you guys were playing up there, and uh, and I can't remember what song you did, but it was a Willie Nelson song, and and all I could tell his mom, Ed and him, I said, I said I do Willie Nelson better than that guy, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Willie's big influence for you, though, right? He was. Uh, I liked. Uh, you know, it's like everything else. You, you think you you found something and yeah. you want to hang on to it, and then everybody else finds out about it, and all of a sudden it's not cool anymore. Right. Uh, which is stupid on its face. But <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, anyway, yeah, I loved Willie from from Redheaded Stranger on. Uh, I guess that's when everybody started noticing Willie. But, you know, anybody could write crazy and oh, yeah. nightlife yeah. And, and stuff Hello like that. Walls, Hello Walls. Hello Walls, right. And um, we... we when I started in 70 or no, 69, I, I started with Preston Weber and he hired me and he taught me a lot about entertaining. Mm-hmm. And he said, just by watching him, I could tell that the big thing I learned from him was never lose contact with the audience. Don't, don't, you know, even, even yeah. if you turn around, say, I'm going to turn around, you know, don't, you don't leave them out, yeah. you know, don't, don't break that contact with them. That, that's one thing I've always been impressed 
uh, with looking at either old videos or seeing even recently today when you have reunions, you haven't changed a whole lot, is your show, your showmanship is better than anyone I know, really. I mean, you, you guys, not just you, but the whole band put a show together. You weren't up there just playing songs. You had moves, you know, you had yeah. certain segments. And uh, it was almost like, like we were talking about Willie Nelson. I always said if you took Willie and Neil Diamond, that was duck breeding. If you put those two together, <laughs> you know, because you got the countryside of it singing and all this, but then you've got the show from Neil Diamond. That's how I saw it. I don't know yeah. if that's how it is oh, to you. Oh, you talk about a big influence. Neil Diamond was a great big influence. That's how I always saw it. The, the early Neil audience. Diamond to me is still as good as it gets. You know, mm-hmm. thank the Lord for the nighttime, red wine, uh, sweet Carolina, uh, all that stuff. I never did forever in blue jeans, but you know, yeah. he did. He did stray in later years. That was another thing where you guys were doing this for a living. Yeah, you had time to put that kind of a show we, together. We did, and and we we always looked at ourselves as, as a band. Yeah, and and uh, you know even even in the big times, you you got you got your single, and then you got your bands, and they're just looked at differently. And um, you know that's the way we always looked at it. And I think I think. If you don't have some kind of show, you know, you're, you're not, you're not, if you're playing full time, you know, if you got the time to do it, yeah. you need to put a show together. Absolutely, yeah. So you got, said 69, was that your first paying gig? September 69, uh, yeah. That, actually, I got paid before that. Uh, we were, the first gig ever was, uh, I had a folk group mm-hmm. and uh, a girl and another guitar player. And we were uh, playing the breaks from Go-Go Girls down at the Congress Inn pub. <laughs> and uh, Bob McQuarrie owned it, and he liked us for some reason. He heard us somewhere, and he hired us. And you can imagine how well we went over. Yeah. The, the crowd was not there to see us. <laughs> and so they would dance, and we would come on games. and get roundly booed. <laughs> And, I've had some of my songs played in those kind of places, but I don't know. I, I, I mean, myself. until you've uh, until you've taken your stage turn <laughs> between the dancers, it, it uh, really humbled me. But uh, it, we uh, uh, we went to sit in with Preston one time, and he he, he hired me, and and uh, that's what got me started. And he left the terrace room after about a year. Left it to me. So Very, so you kind of inherited that. Yeah, case. I did. Yeah, wow, he uh, he that. moved on. And I'd been there with him uh, for about a year. Uh, within, he hired me in September, and by October we were playing a luncheon at the uh, National Press Club. Cool. And I didn't know what that was at the time, yeah. so I wasn't nervous. Yeah. But I found yeah. out later it was a pretty big deal. Yeah. yeah. This was through he knew Jim Host, uh, who later okay. went on to do pretty yeah. great things. Yeah. And he he got that gig for us, and then later on we went to Montreal, Canada and played for Travel South USA. Jim Host was part of that. None of this would have been possible without Preston. And Preston didn't have to take me, but he did. Wow. And, uh, and then when, by the time he left for other places, after about a year, I'd learned a lot from him. Yeah. And um, that's when I started by myself. And uh, then Sonny LaMare came along. We I, was, met. I was getting ready to ask, did you just reform the whole band, or did it kind of no, piece by No, I, I was start? a single then. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and I played like that. We had a, a fiddle player and a banjo player from Frankfurt, and they would come play on the weekends, you know. Uh, gotcha. Uh, Alabama Jubilee and stuff like that. Cool. And, uh, and then uh, I met Sonny. He was playing, came to town with Dave Peel. 
And Jerry Morris had a, uh, he's managed a place called La Flame, which became Cliff Hagen's Steakhouse on Winchester Road. Yeah. Jerry thought it would be a great deal. And this is, this is brilliant. Bars had to close at one o'clock at that point. And he said, what if I have a buffet breakfast at one o'clock to four o'clock, don't serve alcohol and let all the entertainers in for free? What would that be like? Yeah. Well, well you can imagine what yeah. it was like. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the first time I ever saw Les Taylor. Yeah. He was with, with Big Fred and the Ovations, and he sang, I Want to Make It With You by Bread. Oh, man. Wow. And uh, he was like, I don't 21 years old. Crazy. And the uh, first time I ever saw him, I met Sonny because he was playing with Dave Peel. Sonny met his wife there, and uh, Dave went, uh, Dave retired. Sonny came back into town, and I knew him by then, and we started playing together. Uh, then we, uh, Marlon Hargis from the so Sonny and Marlon are both in exile yeah. now, and Marlon yeah. added Marlon to the band. And, I, knew, I knew Sonny played with you. I didn't yeah, know Marlon, Marlon played, played for you. years with us. And wow. Jim McGuire, that was the that was the the second hand band. Mm -hmm. That was Jim McGuire on drums, and he he went on to do all the music for the World Wrestling Entertainment. Really? Yeah, he wrote the the, the music for that. Oh wow! That's right. That's right. Yeah. I, I was kept thinking I know that name yeah. from somewhere. Yeah, it was from Somerset. Yeah, yeah. So he was the drummer, Sonny was the bass player, Marlon played keyboards and guitar, and, and I played guitar and sang. We all sang. Yeah. And uh, the, the, we didn't do much country music then. We did, we were still uh, very much a band, but we did a lot of medleys. We had a Sly and the Family Stone medley, Three Dog Night medley, Crosby, Stills and Nash medley, uh, Chicago medley. Yeah. Uh, and then we did just a lot of rock and roll. I don't think I would ever really consider you guys a country band anyway, at, no well, matter we, what era it was, because you nah. always threw in a little bit of everything. Right. Well, we weren't doing any country at yeah. that point. And uh, then uh, we added Mark Connor from Albany and became Powder Keg, went out on the road and didn't stay long. And uh, that band broke up, and I went back to the terrace room, and uh, I got Dave Sheeler and Rick Shelley. That was that was a trio. That, that was for a while, and then... Uh, Sonny came back, and then we added Rex Hart on drums, mm -hmm. and then uh, Sonny got a chance to go with Exile. So and then Bob Goff was ending his showboat days. Yeah. So for for a little while there, Exile and, and us changed Just bass players. Just interchanged, and, and, yeah. And then when Bob came with us, uh, we, there was a trio, Bob, Rex, and Ernie. Uh, Bob, Rex, and me, and then uh, Ernie came down, your, yeah. your parents, John, yeah. brought Ernie Welcome. down. <laughs> <laughs> Brought Ernie down, and uh, same way they brought George the Morning yeah, Fair. That's right. They've had a lot of a lot of impact yeah. on me. Yeah. And uh, uh, we added Ernie, and uh, stayed that way from probably '76 through '80, mm -hmm. and then in '80 we bought, uh, and that's when we started getting country. Yeah. Because uh, people started liking it, and uh, we never did do what I would consider urban cowboy country right you know we were all right. we were more outlaw country yeah. and uh, you know with jerry jeff and, and stuff like that pure prairie league uh you know just the normal grand parson stuff mm -hmm. emmy lou harris but that and was a big thing though that's what kicked it off in, in, the, in was. the 80s was that whole urban cowboy yep. movie got people yep. interested in you know not just the music but the, the look and the way the, they the look yeah and, and they, stuff, it's yeah. fun to be a cowboy yeah yeah, yeah. everybody wants to be a cowboy Yep. And and so we just started doing more and more country music, but we never got away from, you know, from 11.30 on, we're liable to throw down. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
That's crazy. I know, I know that some of the stuff that, that you've got that, that I've listened to. I mean, there's a lot of stuff on there, like, you know, uh, like listening to you guys do, like Black Betty. Yeah. And, and things like yeah. that. And just, I always thought it was cool how, you know, everything was put together well. I mean, when you listen to you guys play it, it was just the same as it was listening to it on, on the record. I mean, and so, you know, that's that's about as far away from country as you can get. It is, it so. is. And that was, a, that was a really big Ernie just stole that show, you know. Yeah. That, 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 oh, well, yeah, I can Right. Imagine, yeah. And, uh, and that one, you know, that was just a highlight of the night. And then, of course, the other highlight of the night was uh, a medley of the Tams and, and uh, Marvin Gaye. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I started off with I've Been Hurt and ended yeah. up a Stubborn Kind of Fella and threw in Black is Black in the middle by Los Bravos. Yeah. And uh, I got that from the Mag 7 and Phil Copeland and the Torquays when yeah. I came up here in 65. They were the, the hot bands, and they, they had a big effect on me. Yeah. You, I've uh, had many influences. You're also anyone who's ever seen you play knows you start the show with six days on the road. Right. Was that just out of habit or tradition, or was there something behind that? It, be- the, it, or it just became what it became. It became what it became. I always did it. Uh, you know, like did no, it just no, set the mood or something? Yeah. Or? It, it just. I, I, I'll have to think about that one. Not that it's uh, a bad song. It was a great way to start, but I've noticed that it, it, the rest uh, of the set it might became, change. It just became what, what, what we started the yeah. night with. And then uh, when we, the band broke up and we started doing reunions, uh, it just, good evening. Yeah. Uh, and Ernie starts six days on the road. Right. Yeah. Well, nobody can say six days on the road is not a classic. Yeah. And uh, it doesn't offend anybody. Yeah. It gets everybody in a good mood. Uh, it brings Dave Dudley's name back out every once in a while, mm-hmm. and uh, it just—it's—it's that's the way we start. It's the beginning of the show. It's they the knew beginning of the show, and uh, they, they, they let you know that we're here and you're there, and here exactly, we go. Exactly. Yeah. We're yeah. we're joined together. Absolutely, man. Uh, now I know you said you weren't actually a country band, but I've heard a lot of stories. I don't know if this was Terrace Room or after. A lot of you'd have a lot of guest people come in. Oh yeah. Like yeah. Uh, I know Jody Payne was right um, twice. Tanya Tucker, I think. Yeah. How did that come about? Did they just Well, don't walk forget in? Charlie Daniels. Charlie Daniels was one? Oh, yeah, wow. uh, I had heard. That's, that's a good story. Uh, I had heard, had been told that Charlie played the Terrace Room with his band and played the Rebel Room for a while, too. And this was back in the, in the late 60s. And I didn't know whether to believe it or not. Uh, but, but one night, uh, after Charlie and the boys had been to Rupp Arena, it was a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night. Wasn't anybody out to see us. The door opened and six very large men with cowboy hats walked in. <laughs> and it was Charlie and the band. Wow. Well, you can imagine, you know, how awestruck we were. But I, I went over and talked to him and he's just nice as he could be. And he, he, uh, he left a note for Pat Collins who owned the bowling alley in the railroad room. Yeah. And uh, uh, just nice as he could be. He just came out to say hi. Wow. And then Tanya was out. She came with Mike Chapman. Mike was ahead of his time with buying a bottle. Mm-hmm. Back then, you only got a drink. Yeah. So he said he, he we were drinking tequila, and he, he wanted a bottle of tequila. Yeah. And they said, well, we, we don't do that. We don't sell yeah. bottles of tequila. And he said, well, okay, how many how many drinks in a bottle? Well, <laughs> 22. Well, how many, uh, what does a, a, a drink cost? Well, uh, $2. Well, here's $50. Bring me a bottle of tequila. <laughs> and they did. And uh, Tanya got up and, and sang, and uh, that was great. And Jody Payne came out twice. Uh, I think that's the most 
I got to go sit down after this is over. Was Jody Payne the first time he ever came just out? Just wild you. Yeah, just wild. Experience. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Um, now listen, most most people are going to know who Tanya Tucker and Charlie Daniels is, but there might be some people listening that don't know who Jody Payne is. That's probably true. Jody Payne was Willie Nelson's yeah. guitar player. That's so. that's uh, that's pretty wild. Now the Terrace Room though was not a big place. No. What did the crowd do when these people showed up? I mean. That that's a pretty big deal for you know a they small left them alone and that's that's one of the great things about about the terrace room you know she was just sitting there right now she was not in a VIP section yeah. <laughs> because we didn't have didn't one, have one. <laughs> but, but, but uh, she was sitting right in the middle of the room I could see right where, where she was right now sitting with Mike Chapman and JP and Sonny yeah they were all there right. and um, they had well you talk about the terrace room. JP and Sonny brought Mike out, not as so much to see us because they didn't have any plans for us. Yeah. They wanted Mike to experience the terrace room. Just to experience Just to it. experience the terrace room. <laughs> and Bob Take said... Take him out for a good time. Bob, Bob Goff said he talked to... Uh, he talked on Facebook to Mike Chapman this year. Really? And said, "This you might not remember me. This is Bob Goff from the Terrace Room. And Mike said, oh, yes, the Terrace Room. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so he, he came out for the room, not, not, this, not just for us. So That's wild. Yeah, but, but people absolutely left him alone, you know. Yeah. And got to be proud of that. Oh, yeah. absolutely. That's yeah, it wouldn't happen cool. nowadays. No, it wouldn't. No, you, it wouldn't. You get somebody in here that recognizable it would be a, a mess. Good thing about Jody, when, when he came, uh, uh, he was brought out there by some friends of ours and his, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I asked him to sit in, of course, and he said yes. And, and we were getting ready to go back for our last set, and he was the first one on stage. And he strapped a guitar on go. and proceeded to conduct the band. <laughs> I mean, he did, and it, it was great, man. We were, we were very, very happy to be conducted. Yeah. And uh, we did. We ended the night then with the Don't Think Hank Done It This Way, which was a yeah. monstrous guitar yeah. jam. Yeah. And, of course, he was he was right in there with that. And yeah. he, he changed the way we started it. He, oh, okay, do this, do this. Of course, a uh, good thing about that song is there's two chords in it. Yeah. yeah. And so we, we were able to maintain a jam for a length of time there. That's crazy. But yeah. uh, that was uh, after that, the first time he came out, I, I remember this very well. I had to go out on the Bowling Alley Concourse and sit down and compose myself. <laughs> it was like, boy, what just happened? Right. Yeah. I've had a few moments like that. It's wild to do something like that. Now, uh, where did uh, your relationship with JP come into this? Because I know uh, with Sonny and Marlon being in the band, JP has sat in with you, but he was right. never actually a member of the band. When did you all meet? Well, I actually probably knew JP longer than any of them. Uh, I, I, like every other person my age, thought there was nothing in the world like exile. And uh, when I was coming up, you saw them every chance you got. Right. And uh, they were the furthest thing from a country band at that point. Yeah. They, you talk about a show. You talk about a band and a show. Mm-hmm. It was... It was just George. Did you see him when Stokely was singing and, and no, all that? No, I never did get to see him. Then. It was that was that was a show. I mean, uh, and I, I just see him every chance I got. JP finally, some way or another, got wind of us at the terrace room, and and he started coming out, and uh, he'd sit in with us a lot, and, uh, the, and then he uh, when you know he produced tapes that we do and yeah. things like that, and and we we just got, played golf together and just. I don't know. I, he's never not been in my life. Right. That's wild. Did uh, when you all did your tapes, uh, were you a Limco band or did were you going? Well, to we Nashville? did some at Limco, but uh, I guess it was '76 or '7. I don't know. Uh, 
a, a girl that, that liked the band brought Harry Warner's manager in to see, brought, brought Jerry Reed's manager in to see us. And uh, uh, his name was Harry Warner. And uh, he, we, he liked what he heard, and, and uh, I think she twisted his arm quite a bit. Yeah. And, and we got to go, uh, to go record in Nashville for about three or four different trips, and JP always went with us. Yeah. And he was very instrumental in playing on all the songs and, and um, you know, producing some of them. And uh, we went down there, I think, played Bradley's Barn, uh, Young and Sound, four different times, I think. Yeah. And um, just did, you know, did four sessions down there. We didn't, didn't get hired, but we almost did. Yeah. Did you do a whole lot of traveling? No, because... You know, we were we were like like we talked about a minute ago. We were the house band, right? You and didn't have to. Uh, didn't uh, have to. we played a lot of one nighters uh, on Monday nights. For some reason, Preston never played Monday nights. Yeah, and so I, I carried that tradition on, <laughs> and and I loved it because. I got to go out every Monday night and make the rounds. I got that's how come I know yeah. every, everybody in town. I got yeah. to go see them every Monday night, and trust me, I would do that. Yeah, you know, I'd, I'd go to Boom Boom Room and see Ward Darby, Charlie Wiley, Lyle Stone, Bobby Johns. My God, yeah. now there's a there's a that, that, he's quite an entertainer out at the Camelot. Yeah, and I, I'd, I'd go there every Monday night. I'd make the rounds. Wow, so you all basically. Uh if you did something out of town, it was just a here and there. It back. was. Uh, we, we'd have to, you know, if we bought uh, uh, an expensive component for the PA, yeah. you know, that, that's swear. how you paid yeah. for it. Gotcha. We, didn't, we didn't put a lot of money in our pockets from the one-nighters. That, was, yeah. uh, that went into the band. Now, at what point did you get into the bar business? Because you changed from Terrace Room to having your name on the right. building. Um, uh, that was 1981. Uh, 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 some of our... You know, I, I talked a minute ago about uh, each night has regular customers. Mm-hmm. Wednesday night became college night because we'd sell Wiedemann beer for 50 cents or something like that. And so a lot of college kids started coming out and some AGRs started coming out. Yeah. Uh, J.D. McCard, Steve Upman, the governor, Brian McFarlane. And uh, they, they got them through school. Yeah. I'm sure you've got plenty of them through oh, school. I, oh, yeah. 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 And... Um, they bought a uh, they bought a bar called Tugboat Sally's out on Georgetown Road, and they had a lot of luck with it. They had the the uh, the town's first mechanical bull. <laughs> Back and to the urban that, cowboy that, days. Yeah, 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 sure was. And uh, they they uh, had a lot of luck with that. And then uh, Flaherty's was a bar out on New Circle Road, very successful bar, very nice bar. And I think Garland Flaherty was going to retire, and he had a place in Louisville too. That was the first Flaherty's, and he was going to sell this one. And so the bank put those three and me together, and said, you know, that would be a, a yeah. good. We we'll loan you the money if you guys do it together. Yeah. And of course, it was a a lot for me to think about. Well, I've talked to JD a couple of times. Yeah. He said it took some convincing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to admit, you remember, I didn't see these guys at their best. Right. And, yeah. and so, do I, do I, do I don't know. I want to go into this. I don't know. And, um, or I did see them at their best. I don't right. know how you want to yeah. look at it. Uh, but um, I, I, the banker knew both of us, all, all four of us. And I trusted him a lot. He was a good friend to all of us. And I thought, well, if he thinks it's a good idea, then, then you know, I... I it, it's got to be, you know, it's got to be the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. So, so we did. 
and then we opened it in January of 1981. And this was the New Circle location. New Circle Road, yeah. yeah. I've got a question for both of you guys, actually, because George has been in this situation, too, having his own bar yeah. with his name on it. But coming from being just the band and knowing, like a lot of bands, even today, don't realize what they're actually doing. They might be, I think I'm going to play Rockstar for a weekend, mm-hmm. or I want to go play my own songs, mm-hmm. or whatever. They don't realize their job is to sell beer. Right. That's really what right. they're hired for. Yeah. That's- what did you learn after having your name on the bar and depending on those beer sales that you wish you would have known when you were just the band? Oh, wow. Because that's, that's a- I'm sure it changed. I'll answer what you said. My job was to sell beer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, that's, that's, that's tough. I mean, I, I learned a lot of things. George, did you have a partner? I did. I did, and uh, if if I was to ever do it again, I'd never have a partner. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, I learned uh, number one that that when I'm on that stage, regardless if my name's on the building or if my or if I'm the owner of that bar, but when I'm on that stage, I am the entertainment and the entertainment only. Right. I'm I'm not the manager of the bar. Right. I'm not the bouncer. Right. I'm I'm George Moulton yeah. playing music. Uh, you know because you can't. Well, I mean, number one, you can't be the guy throwing somebody out of a bar exactly. if you're wanting them to come in and exactly. spend their money. Yeah. You, you know, so. But, yeah, I mean, I learned uh, I learned that, that for 25 years I was taking way too long of breaks <laughs> when I was just the band. Uh, that hasn't changed. That has, well, uh, I don't have a bar anymore. We need our, we need our rest. <laughs> right, right. So, yeah, that's my biggest thing, really. I mean, I make a joke about it, but, you know, I, I learned that you know you got to keep things moving. You got to yeah. keep it going, and uh, you know. So I, I could kind of, I could kind of feel uh, some of these bar owners that used to get after me and said, "Hey, man, you've been on break for twenty five yeah. minutes. Yeah. All right, I'll go up and play fifteen, and I'll take you know, <laughs> whatever it was." But, but that was the biggest thing I learned. Yeah, that's exactly where I lucked out. I, I got, I teamed up with a barman. Yeah, and uh, it was never JD McCarg is my partner, and he. He's a barman from the word go. Yeah. And I never had to worry about anything except what George is talking about. I was the entertainment. Yeah. He he was he was the the uh, you know he took care of the bar. Even even now you know he's he's in charge of the bar and I'm in charge of the stage. Yeah. Yeah. And, you were uh, the draw. Huh? You were the draw. Yeah. yeah. And he was he was the he was the nuts and bolts. And without what he did, yeah. No, you know anything I did wasn't going to matter. Mm-hmm. And um, that that we've been together since 1981. And that, that was my thing. I mean, as far as, you know, the, the partner thing, I mean, I, I really, I, I loved the people I was partners with. I loved them to death. Uh-huh. But we just, I think we just had way two different ideas about what my role should be uh-huh. and how I should do it. And, I mean, I'll tell you the best advice I got, and that's who I tried to live by, but was from Larry Redmond. And that's yeah. what Larry told me. He said, when you're in here playing, he said, you're not the owner of that bar. You're not the manager. Yeah, you're, 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 the, the, entertainment, you're the entertainment. And you, you find people that you can trust around you that, yep. that does all that's that exactly stuff. That's exactly right. So, and you know, which I could understand their point of view too. You know, they were uh, hands-on. They were, you know, I mean, they owned the bar, but they'd be out in the, at the end of the night mopping the floor. And I was like, dude, I just played for our show. I'm not, I'm not coming out here mopping gonna the do floor. That. You yeah. know, uh, I did my part. You know? Yeah, yeah. But, but it, it was nothing personal. You know, I, I loved them to death. We just had two different, totally different ideas of how to do it or right. how I wanted yeah. to do it. 
I, I tell you another thing I've been lucky at, and I, I, I learned this two, three different places. Uh, it's always been a business. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you can have a lot of fun in bars. And even if you own them, mm, or especially yeah. if you own them. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we, we've always treated every place we've ever had. You know, the, the bottom line is if, if you borrowed money from the bank, the bank gets paid back before you do. Yeah. You know, the, yeah. and, and it's, uh, you don't, you know, don't take money out of the cash register. You know, you, you just treat it like a business like you would any other. Yeah. And if you don't, you're not going to have it long. Right. And, yeah. um, and that, that's, that's something people don't understand. I mean, because I used to get stuff like this, you know, uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I, I can't imagine how many times uh, a buddy or somebody you just even maybe uh, remotely know comes in, you know, and they they want a free drink. They yeah. want a free this or that. Yeah. And you're like, no, I can't make a living. And and you, how many times have you heard? Well, I, I I've spent enough money in here to pay the light bill. Exactly. <laughs> but I guarantee you, if you showed them how much that light bill actually, they back <laughs> off. That's that's another thing I learned is like this this crap, man, is expensive. It takes a lot of money to yeah. even run the place. Right. You know, I went into it thinking, all right, boys, I'm getting ready to roll in the dough, mm-hmm. and I was like. Hey, where's all the money at? <laughs> so I'm looking at all the all the bills going out. Damn, man. Yeah. Well, yeah, and every time a beer truck comes by, they don't leave without a check. No, they don't. You know, and, don't. And, and the markup on on all that's not what you think it is. No. So, oh, you don't make no money on yeah. beer. I mean, I, I, I never saw that we could make money on right. beer. Right. You, yeah, you got to sell that top on, whiskey. Yeah, you got to sell the whiskey. That's where you make it at. God right. love the, the pappy drinkers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. At what point did you all start doing uh, having national acts come into breeding? Right away. Um, it, it, uh, I've got a few stories I've heard on, on those too. You know, uh, well, we'll, we'll get into that. I, 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 could, I could do nine hours on that one alone. Uh, we we just thought we we got this. Well, when we, first of all, when we first bought the bar, it seated four hundred. Mm-hmm. It was immense. Right now, that doesn't seem like much, but back then it was a no, lot. It, 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 that's three terrace rooms. Right. And uh, I spent a lot of time at one corner of that bar looking at the other and going, I will never fill this place. I will never <laughs> fill this place. So it was a big, nice room. We, we changed it around a little bit, and we made a big stage right in the center of the room and elevated it and put a light and sound system in. And, we, and once again, we're dark on Monday nights. So, you know, at that point, the only national acts coming through were like Billy Crash Craddock and George Jones at the Continental Inn every once in a while. Yeah. George at the Maverick, uh, and maybe, you know, just every once in a while. And it was first come, first serve, Did, you know, no seats, stuff like that. So, so we thought, well, we've got 400 seats here and an empty night. What? Well, let's try something. And uh, our first uh, national act was Leon Redbone. And we, we said, well, let's do this. Let's, let's make a seating chart. Let's assign every table a number. And when you come in and buy your ticket, let's write that number on the back. And when you walk in and give us your ticket, we'll take you and set you at your table. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter when you get there, that's your table. Yeah. And uh, so we, that, that's where we started doing it. And it, it, uh, Leon sold out. Then we had Don McLean. Um, that's the story right there. But... Uh, <laughs> Uh, and it it, just, it started off uh, really well because I think people like the idea of that intimate setting. You know, they're oh, not yeah. way down there, yeah. and I'm not way out here. We can get up close, <clears throat> yeah. and uh, we can you know we can enjoy the, the night. And we we were very 
uh, very aware of the customer experience. Like I know with like Leon Redbone, a few of the quieter things, we would not make uh, uh, like a, a mixer drink in the background. We didn't want to hear that. Yeah. We keep yeah. things quiet. Yeah. And we respected the entertainment and we respected the, the crowd. Yeah. And uh, it got to be, it, it got us through a lot of lean years, the National Acts did. Do you get to have any uh, heroes come in? Well, the most fun I ever had losing money was Bobby Bear. <laughs> we, we got him loaded in, and I thought, well, we did not sell enough tickets, and I'm going to lose money tonight. I'm going to sit down with my good friends here and enjoy the show. So uh, I did. Uh, he, he, was, he, he was a lot of fun. Uh, when we had the Desert Rose Band, and I told them when, when they started, I said, I'm, I'm not available. That's, there's so much history on that stage yeah, yeah. that's chris hillman and, and jd Manson oh, yeah, yeah. and all that crew i said i will i will take this show in yeah yeah and uh that that was uh, that was good for me and then just I, I saw a lot of people that that uh i wasn't even that familiar with right you know i, I had a good relationship with the paper at the time walter tunis was yeah. and he is writing and i would always run my my ideas by him and he would always uh, he'd say, I can do a piece on him. And that would always come out on a Sunday yeah. before the Monday show. We did a lot of promotions. With, if it was country act, we'd do K93. Rock and roll, we'd do Double Q. We did, uh, and I can tell you this, it's a lot more fun to do an act on the way up than it is on the way down. Oh, yeah, I bet. You know, we did yeah. Melissa Etheridge before she broke. Mm -hmm. Did the Kentucky Headhunters. Did Vince Gill Wow. Uh, before that. But then for, for every one of them, we had somebody that the last time they were in town, they played across the street at Rupp Arena, <laughs> and they weren't all that happy to see me yeah. at the front door going, come on in, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, still and all, without, without the national acts, I don't think uh, we, we really helped us out a lot. I don't know if it's true. You can maybe uh, help me out with this. Um, but Ernie's dad, Sam, yeah, was a regular. He was. And uh, I heard when you had Jerry Lee Lewis... Him and Sam became good friends. <laughs> they probably did, but Jerry Lee doesn't remember. It. I don't know if Sam remembered it. I heard you lost both of them, and they ended up finding them together somewhere. Well, yeah, they were wandering around out in the alley. <laughs> the old Sam, he was. Uh, Sam bought Ernie many guitars and amps. Yeah. yeah. Well, that had to be cool. I mean, Jerry Lee Lewis. Jerry Lewis was probably the biggest mess I've ever seen in my life. Well, I'm sure, but it still had to be a cool. It this was. was it this was, was definitely was. on the way. I, I, I remember out. Uh, we had yeah. him both places. Uh, had him out uh, uh, out on New Circle Road and then downtown. Yeah. First time we had him out on uh, New Circle Road, we couldn't. We we turned the house. That's another story. Um, so a lot of times we couldn't afford the talent by selling 400 tickets. So yeah. we'd do a 7:30 show and a 10:30 show and turn the house. And um, First time we ever did that, the band quit, and uh, you know the lights came up and nobody left. Yeah, and we go. Oh, oh, wow. uh, uh, he, he said they were going to do another show. Yes, he did. They are going to do another but show. It's ten thirty, but to four hundred different people, <laughs> you must leave now. I got my ticket right here. Man, that, that would be. But a yellow ticket. It's a red ticket for the second show. So there was some educational uh, things going on there, but that, that's how that's how we did most of them was uh, do two shows. Yeah. But Jerry, we couldn't get Jerry Lee off for the first show. It was like people lined up outside to get in, and we couldn't get him off. He'd already emptied a mai tai on the soundboard of the piano, and finally we got him off and got got the uh, got the second going in. And then when he came to uh, 
He's still alive, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah he could sue me. Uh, <laughs> but he, I doubt he doesn't so remember me yeah. either. Yeah. So uh, the second time we had him down in downtown, he played 30 minutes and quit. Wow. So, you know, what are you going to do? But the best part of it was when he played 30 minutes and people on their way out, and I'm out there apologizing, they're going, it's Jerry Lee Lewis. We don't care. He does this all the time. It. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like George Jones not showing up. Right. You know? It's like, you know, back in the day, you know, they'd tell stories about people go see Hank Williams and he wouldn't show up, and people just go home and turn his, put his records on and sit around and listen to him. Exactly. It. Instead of getting mad at yeah. him. Yeah. That's what know, he does. They, they they nobody ever got mad at George for not showing up. I saw George Jones uh, three times. Uh, first time was at a place called Melody Mountain up in Ashland, Kentucky. Yeah. And uh, the Jones boys come out and played about five songs. George Jones come on, uh, kept talking about how he's going to stay there and play and how great everything <laughs> was, and he's going to be there all night and sang about four songs, and he was gone. He was gone. And then uh, the second time was up to Maysville at the, at the fair and uh, was actually standing at the fence. He comes, he steps off the bus, hits the first step, falls down the next three. <laughs> they pick him up, put him back on the bus, and the bus just drives off. I didn't even see him that time. But I did finally get to see him and meet him at, uh, at Renfro Valley. At Renfro yeah, Valley, yeah. yeah. So they, they don't put up with that down there. No, nah, well, I mean, he, he was about 85 well, years he, old then, yeah. too, so he probably wasn't able to do that kind of okay. stuff anymore. So that, is that about the time you switched uh, locations? We switched. We were out there five years, 81 to 86. And... Um, about that time, uh, downtown started to be revitalized. Yeah. And um, the final four was here at Rupp Arena. And I was yeah. downtown doing some uh, doing some shows. We, we had to see the judge, Steve Warner, Dwight Yoakam, playing in different places around. Some at the horse park, some at the opera house, some, you know, there. And then the final four was, and I was doing, you know, producing the shows, running the shows. And um, after that was over with, I was going home or out to the bar on New Circle Road. Mm-hmm. Downtown was just packed. Yeah. And I uh, went out there, and, and we had the Trendales, which was our biggest draw, and we were half full. So that's when I, I thought, hmm, we need to be Kinda downtown. See the yeah. light. Yeah. And uh, Don Webb found this place for us uh, down at 509 West mm-hmm. Main Street. And he got us in with the people that owned that, the, the, the Hopkins, Jerome Hopkins and his wife Jackie. They owned Sleepyhead House, and that was a mattress warehouse. And we converted it, and we stayed down there from '86 to '92. And that was a double decker, right? It like was. We opened up the brewery upstairs, right? Yeah. So that was a. Oh, that was that was a great place. Yeah, it was a great place. What was it like uh, controlling the two completely different atmospheres? Well, I, I guess the, the the main problem was you, you could you could come in the top. They, 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 we had a back entrance on the top mm-hmm. and a front entrance at, at or lower entrance at the front. And you could pay cover and come in the front and go both places. You get a yeah. stamp. But if you just want to come to the brewery, you, there was no cover charge. Yeah. So there wasn't really any problem. You know, we had we had somebody at the top. You know, if you want to come down here, you let pay. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, if you go back come and forth, down, sir, you go and over. every once in a while there might be a noise problem from downstairs to upstairs. But you know, it's something you something you learn to live with. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, well, I gotta say. You probably already know this, but uh, I've got, I don't know how many tapes from your all shows. And I'd say between the two of you, I'd say 80% of everything I know was either listening to you or to you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's how I did my homework, was I I learned how to play guitar by listening to the old bootlegs I've got from the Terrace Room or from uh, Breeding's Club. And uh, I think it was, oh... 
seven or eight when you, you had the blue moon and you did a reunion when it was the first time I actually got to come see you play. Yeah. And uh, then a few years later, you all actually invited me to play with you. Yeah. Big highlight of my life. <laughs> um, but I'm not sure what was bigger getting to ask to do that or asking me to come back and do it a second time because yeah. <laughs> I got to do it a few times with you and yep. uh, well have you uh, probably five or six times at right? least yeah, yeah. Um, that was like a full circle moment for me because I grew up listening to this stuff when you all had already disbanded for years yeah. by the time I got into it yeah. you know, I knew right. I knew who you all were and I knew the stories but I didn't have a, really a clue until I started playing and digging into these tapes and then realizing and then Ernie would show me a thing or two right. here and there and then would come, finally get to come see you all play when you started doing these reunions. Um, right now, for those listening, we are sitting at Henry Clay's Public House, which is your current establishment. Right. Come down, see us, and have Richard make you an old-fashioned. Um, <laughs> but uh, you started doing these reunions, and uh, what was that like to have the place packed like it used to be like nothing changed i mean it, i feel like it's the same well it was easy because i mean what's tough is filling up the place five nights a week <laughs> right you know you do it once or twice a year you, you yeah. better fill it up or, right uh, but it was you weren't packing in people off the street you were packing in the same exactly, people exactly from however yeah, long yeah. ago well they were still it, loyal. It, it's just it's more fun than you can imagine yeah. you know because it, it's 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 kind of neat because you, you you want a little bit of mystery to your show, but on those reunions, everybody in here knows every move yeah. and every note, yeah. and they'll do it with you. And expect it. Expect it. Yeah. And knows if you make a mistake. Right. Which we had plenty of. Yeah. But that it's just the neatest time because, you know, over the years, by being in one place and being in one town, and you, you meet so many people, and to see them again, and... and the fact that they think enough of us to come and see us, yeah. make an effort yeah. to come and see us, is so humbling. You know, like we are not relevant anymore. Yeah. And, and to, to know that, you know, and, and, and generally at, at those reunions, somebody will tell me that's they met at some place yeah. where I was playing music. That, George, that, right. that's happened to you yeah, many but, times. I mean, that's a, that's a testament to how much influence and how you all impacted people, though, when, when you were doing it. You know, and just like I said, I mean, I've got some of the same stories, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, I met my wife and yeah. wherever, you know, yeah. when she was playing and all this stuff. And, you know, a lot of those fans, as you know, they become friends. They do. You know, they're just, they're there so often that, that you know, you get to know them by name and know their stories. And and so, but like I say, that, that just shows that how big a deal you guys were in that time frame that people... All these years later, still, yeah. if, if they know the bunch is playing, they're out. I well, care, that, that's you know. great, and, and it, it's very, like I said, it's humbling. And I, and I make an effort to get here an hour early and come in the front door. Yeah. Used to be I'd try to sneak in the back. Right, right. But now I, you know, I'll come in the front door, and I'll talk to everybody on my way to the back. Yeah. Then I'll go down and put my football jersey on, and we'll do a show. Yeah. You learn to appreciate it more with time you certainly do I think yep. you know I think so the influence is definitely huge I didn't get to experience it in the prime but uh, I still talk to people all the time like Marty our bass player her yeah. current, Marty Clough he was talking about he might have a show in town somewhere and he might get done early oh well, look it's it's 11.35 they're playing this song right now I can make it yeah. he knew the show <laughs> yeah. 
but that was okay. Yeah. Like, that's how he wanted yeah. it. He's like, oh, I can make it. They're, they haven't done this one yet. Yeah. You know, and like I hear stories like that, I feel like I know what it was like because there's a ton of people who still, like I said, I mean, the reunions still pack the house. They still talk about it constantly. Yeah. What um, what you guys did in this town, and it was a big deal, man. It's a really big deal. Absolutely. I'll tell you what's amazing to me is. is we, we, we used to try to come in and run through the songs before, you know, like Saturday afternoon. Mm-hmm. Well, we wouldn't get anything done because, you know, you, you, you haven't seen each other for a yeah. long time. So, just time so now, now, yeah, exactly. So now we, uh, it, it would be like a Friday night, we all get together and get that out of the way. Yeah. And then Sunday, uh, Saturday, we'd come in and, and just kind of run through the show. Yeah. You, you say, okay, here's, here's what we're doing. Do you remember this? What part did you sing? And it's amazing how it comes back together. Uh, the other amazing thing is that I can't sing four hours anymore. You know, like <laughs> end of an hour, I'm I'm shot. And um, but uh, it's it's those this this band. I, I this I'm, I'm you know obviously prejudiced, but this band is is really something. Yeah. Well, they are. Yeah. I mean, you know, he was talking about Marty, my bass player. Now, you know, I mean, he'll tell you in a heartbeat that Bob Goff was, you know. His influence. One of his yeah. influences. Well, it, it, yeah. everybody up there can do it. Yeah. It'd be a shame to uh, to go this whole time. We haven't mentioned Vinny, um, but we, we skipped when Vinny came into the picture. Well, I meant to say that, but when, when we, in 81, <coughs> yeah. we, we knew Vince from Limco. You mentioned Limco. Right. Uh-huh. Uh, he was with a group called the Gospel, Gospel Lights. Gospel Lights, yeah. And he was only 20, 19 or 20. Yeah. And he he was doing Bob and uh, Rex were doing a lot of uh, commercials at Limco. That's right, you all did jingles and stuff yeah, too, we did, didn't yeah. you? Yeah, I'm the voice of Top Fuel Fertilizer, <laughs> <laughs> and for for one year, Logan's Roadhouse. Uh, but we would, uh, you know, and we do lots of that, and uh, that's how we met Vince. Yeah, and uh, they, of course he was a whiz, and uh, then we we had to uh, we we figured we needed. To, uh, when we moved to, to Breedings, we figured we needed to add Vince. Yeah. And uh, I had to talk his mom and dad into letting him do that, you know, because yeah. I, I promised him I'd take care of him. And um, <laughs> not, that's, I didn't have to do that with Sam when I went early. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine. <laughs> Sam said, take him. <laughs> I'm just here for the ride. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, we added Vince, and then uh, later on we added uh, Paul Osborne yeah, on- from uh, Winchester. And he, the, uh, Ozzy had his own little drum riser, and he had a piano and a, another set of drums. We had two drummers for a while, and congas. And, but he's mainly a saxophonist and a flute player. Right. And uh, so that was that was the six-piece band then. Mm-hmm. And that was for much of, that was from like 82 on to 85, something like that. Wow, yeah. So do you have, um, I guess, when did you stop playing yourself on a regular basis? I think it was 1984. Uh, I said 85 a minute ago, but I believe in thinking back, it was it was 84. Or the last of '83, we 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 only played about two years solid mm-hmm. at at, uh, at Breedings. Because I know everyone else in the band continued to do whatever and right. whatever band they were in. Did you ever do anything else after that, or well, did you strictly go into no, the business? No, not for a while. We uh, that that's when I uh, started into uh, Rex and Ernie went with Greg, mm-hmm. and uh, Bob and Vince formed uh, a group called Daddy's Car. Yeah, and. Uh, um, 
the I, I just I just went into production. Yeah. You know, I, I, I was tired. I didn't want to play anymore. Yeah. And um, that that lasted for a while, and then uh, then I formed a, another band with Ernie and Rex and Jerry Gillespie, and we used to come up to Maysville and yeah. play the the Ramada Inn there. Yeah. Occasional weekends, and that lasted for a while, and then we moved downtown. I know I, I gotta gotta bring this one back up in '84. We really had a stroke of luck because uh, Exile became a house band that year. Okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, really. And that was during the time when they were starting to write and record country music. Yeah. And one of my favorite pictures has the guys standing out in front of that big road sign yeah. saying, Woke Up in Love, number one. Yeah. And they're all standing out there in front of the sign. And they, so they got to, they got to, we, we got to have them for a year, yeah. you know, while they were doing that. And uh, I just I couldn't tell enough people that uh, you don't know how lucky you are to pay three dollars and come and hear this band. Yeah, because yeah. they they were and are mm-hmm. as good as it gets. Yeah, as good as they walk on stage, they, they flat do it. Yeah, I, I've heard so many stories about before they even made it, they were just you know playing people's proms, but already an influence as far as this is how you do it. Yeah. Like, I've heard, I don't know, even Ernie's talked about, uh, I think he opened for him, um, forget which band he was in at the time, but he said... Big Bear, probably. Probably. He said it was the first time he had gotten to see them, and he goes, they got there for load-in, and he's watching, he's like, man, they, they don't look anything like I, I thought they would look. <laughs> it turns out they they already had roadies. Yeah. Oh, wow. And, yeah. And yeah. So he thought that... We were, <clears throat> the roadies were then. No. This is exile. Exactly. It turns out different guys came out for the show, and then Ernie realized, okay, I'm dealing with I'm the dealing, real thing. Yeah, yeah. And then people start, not copying, but you saw how to do it. You, you did. So that's why I asked George if you ever saw uh, the... It, it was it was uh, Bobby Johns on drums, uh, Bernie Faulkner on organ, uh, Buzzy Cornelison on piano. Uh, Kenny Weir on bass, JP on guitar, uh, and, jo- and Stokely singing. Yeah, they did I Devil's Bite. Uh, they did, uh, that Todd Rundgren wrote that, I think. Uh, let's see, Tommy, Sh- Tommy James wrote him a song, Church Street Soul Revival. Mm-hmm. He wrote yeah. that. And they had regional hits with that. And they would, they were just like, not head and shoulders above everybody else. They were like, Knees, hips, head, and shoulders above everybody yeah. else. As far as the musicianship, they had six guys, and they could all sing in falsetto. Yeah, and they stat- they had harmonies for days back when nobody was doing that stuff. Yeah, best PA. They had trainer amps out of out of Canada. Nobody ever heard of that. And and just just you just go and go. Okay, I can I can never hope to do that. I still think that. <laughs> I, I still do. I, and to this day, boy, you go see them, and, and that's just good as they ever were. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean for me, I, I've always been a, a, a big Les Taylor fan. I mean, I, I, I like that uh, that kind of that soulful, yep, that real absolutely. feeling, just you know, and and then the range on top of that. Yep. And uh, so, I mean, I, I've always been. I, I liked his solo stuff. Well, there's not nobody you know, sings like guys. he does. No. No. I mean, he, he's just—he's just like the best. Yeah, he definitely is. Well, Doug, we won't keep you much longer, man. I wanted to thank you for coming out and doing this with My us. My pleasure. It's yes, been sir. a lot of fun. Yeah, a lot of laughs. A lot of laughs. Big inspiration to us. I hope we get to talk more on this level. I mean, because we basically said we wanted 
to sit around with our friends, but all of our friends are musicians and we all work <laughs> and we never get to see each other. So, <laughs> well, that's what's good about being off on Monday night. Yeah, there you absolutely. Go. Monday night. But uh, thank you so much and uh, hope to see you soon. Man. All right. Thank you thank guys. You, that concludes today's episode of Weekend Superstars. I'm John McHugh. I'm George Moulton. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and uh, check us out on Spotify and Apple Music or anywhere else you get your podcast. And until next time, later.